1: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: You might need a pen and paper because I've got a few things going on that I need to tell you about. I'm doing two shows with Helen Rose, former Queensland policewoman, and the show is called The Consequences of Murder. We're doing the first one on the 12th of August at the Thirsty Crow in Wagga Wagga. We're then doing another show at the Victorian State Library Village Roadshow Theatreette on the 15th of October. Then I'm coming up to Sydney because you've asked and I've listened. I'm doing the Mornington Monster on the 1st of October at the auditorium, 37.00. Reservoir or Reservoir, depends where you went to school, uh, Street in Surrey Hills, New South Wales. And did I mention filming started from a TV series? There is just a little bit happening in my life and it's all because of you, my listeners. Thank you. Tickets through Eventbrite. Have a great week. Uh, Hello, and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, my guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same, it's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, My podcasts aren't suitable for children, and some adults for that matter, so please consider if it's right for you, and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter.
1: But then I was probably in denial, or I didn't realise that any form of empathy or sorrow had completely gone, and I was just angry.
2: Today you'll hear part two of a story told by an incredible man who suffered enormously for doing his job and keeping his community safe. He may have lost a career due to a PTSD uh, diagnosis, but he hasn't lost his sense of (laughs) humour. You will just love him. Uh, I can guarantee it. And he really is a hero. Part two of Cameron Kane.
1: It was like if going to the main street of King Lake on the um, Monday was like turning up at somewhere like, oh, it sounds awful, but somewhere like Ethiopia, just dust and sun everywhere and then trucks full of... Um, water bottles, mattresses, things just rocking up. And I thought, wow, this is – then the only letdown was the CFA people had barbies going since Saturday night and all the locals um, had brought all their meat and everything from their freezers to the barbecue because everyone had to eat. But then the salvos and that rocked up Monday afternoon and the fights – that had, you're not supposed to do this, you're not to do that, no more of this, you can't serve food like that. Really? Yep. You know, the only time during that whole four, five-week period, the only time things ran in harmony and to just like clockwork was the Sunday when there was no one up there. Everyone banded together. The CFA trucks were going from house to house, we were going to house to house, and then it just turned to the proverbial. Um, we continued to work, um, I was pulled in, I went to work back on the Tuesday, had the Monday off, went back in Tuesday morning, (laughs) I had my pants on, I just rock up with a t-shirt, and shirt undone. I walked in the back door and the police station was chockers. And all I heard was one of the bosses say, you are now in the largest crime scene in the world. And I've walked in. I must look like a real scruffy bugger. And I've walked in, drove up my thing, put my shirt on, and someone turned to me and winked and said, oh, at least you button buttoned up your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was um, then asked to go down into the interview room. So where welfare were. And he sat me down and I was probably a little bit mean. I probably just said, well, you can shove this job right up your ass. And he has oh, a little bit of anger there. I said, you think? Um, they were going to stand us down. Uh, apparently they did with two coppers down Gippsland Way just to – and I said, well, look, I live here, so I'm going to be here anyway. Um, so – and I understand, but what do we do? And they said, no, what we're going to do is you local coppers, everyone's coming in and asking for you guys. So you guys can come in eight to four every day in uniform, out of uniform. It's up to you guys, but we're just going to take all the workload off you and everything else, which was brilliant. Um, And then I think it was on the Thursday um, we were all – five of us were taken out of the back into the back of a semi trailer that was dumped up. There was an office and it was police welfare. It was a psych. It was – and we had a good chat and it was there where they said, look, things will happen. Um, you'll have funny smells. You'll have funny dreams. You'll feel funny. Look, just listen to your body. Most importantly, listen to your body. And I thought, oh, okay, and things just – I just – yeah, so I went and spoke to them. They said, yeah, come in. So the welfare were brilliant. And also they said, go to the doctors and let them know as well. So I did that. And the poor bloody doctor cried. I was felt sorry for him. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was it.
2: So, Cam, can we just go back? When you go up to welfare into the office or the back of the truck or whatever. Yep. Were you a fairly typical male where you'd say, well, yeah, I'm right, thanks, yeah, all good, but I'm worried about whoever? Did you actually tell welfare how you felt? Like, and this is a terrible thing to say or to ask, but, but were you honest? Oh, yeah, like, I don't yeah, imagine look, you would have been, but...
1: No. Oh, look, no, none of us were. Um, I suppose –
2: Yeah, that fluffy, touchy, feely stuff. Yeah.
1: It's like I remember having reflexology on the feet. I thought, oh, this is all hippie stuff. And they said, oh, your nose will start running. And then my nose started running. I thought, oh, there's something to this. (laughs) (laughs) So, look, and then after the conversation, I I pulled one of them aside outside and I said, look, um, this is – I feel quite exhausted at the moment. But, And they said, look, just – Be mindful that things will happen and it's just your brain adapting to it and trying to fix everything. So, when things did start to happen, um, I wasn't in shock, I suppose. I thought, oh, okay, I was warned this might happen. But for. Tell
2: me what was happening.
1: uh, Look, any um, just enthusiasm had gone
2: yeah
1: um yep. I felt everyone wanted something from you. I just felt like, yes, yeah just want, want, want want, um the smell of smoke I'd wake up, it was summertime I'd wake up and think that the someone had left the canara door open um the I went to bed on the Sunday night after the fires next to Laura, and I woke up and I f- swear that I was laying beside one of the bodies. Yeah, oh. that I'd found, um, and then I, I suppose as time went on, I just got angrier and angrier, and and that's probably where it came down. After ten years, um, after the fires, um, I went to a body in Flounder on the Friday night, and I slept all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and I thought there's something wrong here. And that's when Laura said, well, we've been walking around eggshells for the last 10 years. The kids are scared of you. Yeah. You need to do something. And that just broke my heart. Yep. And I thought, right. So the Monday I went to the doctors and he sent me to see um, Karen in um, Bandura who then put me on to Arthur Valakoulis where I did the um, PDSD course. And that was just amazing just to find out why I was who I was now and what was happening. Um, and until you sit down and realize, as you said, i oh, big tough guy, I oh, what's happened? S- the hardest thing I've ever done is analyze myself and the most, Exhausting thing I've ever done is analysing myself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Scariest
1: thing is analysing myself. But um I learned a lot. And it just put me in a place where I thought, well, yeah, and that's hence where I thought I just miss the old me. I, I'm a bit of a town clown, I suppose, but I I just miss the old me where There wasn't this hesitation. There wasn't this anxiety. Um, And I wish I could be compassionate for people and things, but it's just the way it is now.
2: Can we go back, Cam? You just said then that for 10 years you kept working and it wasn't until you went to that body in Flowerdale. Uh, Are you saying that for 10 years you kept working? Yep. Oh, my God, Cam.
1: Yes. Yeah, what happened is I, I took six months off after the fires. Uh, it was the day after Ross's kid's funeral. I said, I just can't do it. So I took six months off. <laughs> First two weeks into it, the boss rings and says, The longer you're off, the longer that uh, you won't be going back to King Lake. <laughs> I said, Oh, how are you going? No worries. Thank you, lot. See you oh, later. God, no. So. Oh no, Ken! He's played. He did. He did. He <laughs> did. He did. I'll oh, tell you no, so I'll just diverse off that. On this, the Tuesday, I returned back to work after the fire on the Sunday. The inspector walked in and he said, "Oh, look, I've been meaning to catch up with you. Just about a complaint." <gasps> and I've looked at him, going, "Really? Really?" And he goes, yeah, just, uh, you know, it's when you pull this guy up. And I remember the one. And this bloke was spitting and punching the window and everything at me. And I thought, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I just shut down. Yeah. Oh, I just walked off. Oh. And then uh, this, then I'll go to another funny one. So I have me six months off. And then they say, right, oh, back to work. You can't go back to King Lake. And I said, well, it's close. Why not? And they said, you've got to do the return to work at Wallen. So I did that, went to Wallen. And while I was at Wallen doing the return to work, it was about two or three weeks, uh, the new boss rings and says, look, can I just pop down and um, have a chat to you? I go, yeah, yeah, no worries. And he come down and he said, oh, look, apparently you've started this book. And I've gone, well, yeah, a friend of mine's writing it. And it's about Ross myself. And he goes, well, I know that the, I won't call them the usual, ESD, have um, had to read bits of it. And I've gone, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And he goes, now I'm here. I've got to um, speak to you about going through the roadblock. And I've gone, what? And he goes, oh, the roadblock on the Monday with the four utes.
2: Oh, my God.
1: I've gone, yeah.
2: Please, no. Please, no.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. I got a rocket.
2: Oh, my
1: I got a God. rocket for going up with five utes of people with generators because there's no running water without generators and ladies' oh. toiletries and things like that, and I got a rocket for disobeying by going up through the roadblock.
2: I am lost for words, Cam.
1: On my return to work.
2: <laughs> Pardon me, but for
1: fuck's sake. Oh, yeah, so I've got, again, really? Really? And I thought, no, nah, I'll show some respect. I won't belt him or yell at him. I'll just cop it. So anyway, come back to King Lake and, look, I maintained um, going and seeing people. I thought, well, no, I've actually spoke to people and it does work. It it helps. So then um, I was seeing Nancy in Mill Park, so I rang Sykes again and said, look, I think it's due for a bit of a chit-chat. I want to book in and see Nancy. Oh, she's no longer a contractor anymore. You'll have to go to somewhere else. So they sent me to this lady in Yarra Glen and I rocked up to a few sessions. She forgot to turn up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is funny. Oh, it, don't,
2: Cam. If you wouldn't laugh, you'd cry, wouldn't you?
1: No, I know. And it was just – so I, and then we had um, oh, health and well-being no. days where everyone in Murrindindy and that would go to the police station and – And I said, look, access for us country people for psychs is horrible. Something needs to change. You know, if they're contracted or not contracted, so what? But that never changed. And that's where I was put onto this um, Karen by my doctor because at the end of it, I thought all these people going down to their GPs getting 10 free visits. Yeah. I can't even get in see a police psych. Bugger it. I'll go to the doctor and I'll see John and say, look, I think I'm a little bit nutty. I need to speak to someone, and he sent me and saw Karen. And from then on, it was just a breeze. The, uh, Karen was brilliant. Arthur Cool was brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah. But I had to do all that myself.
2: Did you have to pay for that yourself?
1: No, the first 10 were free. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Cam. I'm just, oh, my God. Hey, can we go back? To tell the listeners, when you were talking about ESD, that's the Ethical Standards Department, the squad of many name changes. It's uh, used to be Double ID Internal Investigations Department, uh, Professional yeah. Standards. I don't know anymore.
1: Oh, I don't know. It was one in Mad Max too, wasn't it? Toe cutters. <laughs> we can say it because <laughs> can, that's we what we, we used to call it. <laughs> <laughs> we can now. <laughs>
2: So the toe cutters had a go at you for going through the roadblock with yes. the people. Yep. Where is the – oh, God, I'm lost for words. It's very rare, Cam, but yes, I am lost for <laughs> words.
1: That's what I mean, like, And then as time went on, you know, people getting um, all these commendations for sitting at roadblocks and that where I know for a fact – Brownie and a few others at King Lake come to work and worked right through. When they got that, there was a bushfire medal that came out. Yeah. Right? Everyone that sat at a roadblock got one. <gasps> Brownie and Mark come back to King Lake and worked at King Lake throughout from the Monday onwards.
2: Yeah.
1: Weren't eligible.
2: Far out. How could that be? How? Could a decision be made about the people? I'm not saying the people at the roadblock didn't do a good job, but.
1: No, that's a, right. A,
2: and we aren't having a go at them. It's the system. Yes. Oh, that is so offensive. Oh. It is. Who makes <laughs> these decisions, Can? <laughs> oh,
1: I don't know. But so it was just a mixture of emotions uh, for me, I suppose. Um oh, the, the three big ones were um the, the feeling of giving and the feeling of like the constant thousands of people running at me and wanting, 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 wanting. Um and then just being let down, I suppose. And the the, the, the magnitude of how big this was and how helpless I was. So, yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, I, I can't imagine how you lasted 10 years before you thought, you know, f- I was going to say, f- fuck this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, well, apparently I was lucky to make those 10 years because the kids and Laura were going to kill me. So I was lucky to get through those 10 years. But look, things, uh, it was lucky that I, I, I suppose, I then started to speak to people, you know, a couple of months had gone by and I thought, ah, oh, it might be time for a bit of a chat. Chat? And it was- Chat to who? And, and that seemed to help a little, I suppose, but I- Like professionals or- To, to psychs, yeah. Oh, yeah, to, okay. To, to psychs. Um, which are the ones? Psychiatrists, they don't give medication, do they?
2: No, psychologists are the ones who
1: don't give the meds. Yet. Yeah. So I've seen- and then they put me on to Arthur and done the course. But it was good to catch up and, and speak to them. And my doctor, um, Greg, was brilliant. So um, – oh, but then I was probably in denial or I didn't realise that any form of empathy or sorrow had completely gone and I was just angry, angry. I'm angry. And I sp- Look
2: at what you've done to me, Ken. I'm angry too. <laughs> and
1: uh, I suppose being six foot four and 110 kilo, like it would be scary if someone's like that is, is angry. So I totally understood that. And, and as I said on the Sunday night, it's sort of when Laura said that the kids are scared of me and uh, they've been walking around in eggshells. I thought that just crushed me. I thought that's just not right so
2: yeah yeah and you know i don't suppose n- well no not suppose we can never ever forget laura and the kids seeing you the way that you were deteriorating but the strength in them just sort of hanging on because it probably would have been easy to say you know what cam i can't live with this but they stuck with you and supported yep. you and, and let's never, ever forget the support that they've given you because without them, I don't think, well, I don't know where you'd be.
1: Oh, uh, and I've said many times, if I'd sent them and they had gone, yeah, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, yep. Wouldn't be here. And look, I, I've done a few talks and that with Ross and I listened to Ross and I, I don't know how him and Beck, you know, two of their four kids and you think, wow, and a brother-in-law. I just don't know how they do it. I, I just, yeah, blows me away.
2: Yeah, but then I think people who have been listening would be thinking, how could you have done what you did? You know, it's amazing where you find strength to get through something, isn't it? And look, look how's Ross these days?
1: Oh, look, unfortunately, they've separated. Um, he's down um, the beach now and um, – so, yeah, not not good. Yes, understand. Yeah, and look, totally, and and he's yeah, he's not travelling well at all. But I totally understand that. But um, I
2: love to you, Ross, if you're listening, yeah. and Beck, and
1: Absolutely. Beck. But um, yeah, but then as the I suppose after the fires, um, I found they always say do something or physical and that you know, is really good for the the head. So president of the footy club and playing that year was just so good. Um, but even just to keep the footy club alive, we had a meeting after the fires at the footy ground to have a community vote if the footy club should go or stay because um, nearly all the people in the committee didn't have a house. So they voted, yeah, we want the footy club to go ahead, so off it went. And AFL jumped in and helped us. Melbourne Footy Club helped us out. But um all the people that had signed on to play in that year come and played for us. Um and we lost the grand final by six points. Oh,
2: wouldn't so, you think they would have given you the six points? Oh, you'd think so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was but see, and then um, we had um Kevin Rudd at the grand final. Um, we had th- the first game we played in uh, against um, Emerald, though, who were um, affected by the Ash Wednesday. We had um, oh, three four thousand at the game. Peter Garrett sang the national anthem. Um, it was just a, a big thank you for emergency services, and it was a great day. Um, the footy club went berserk, um, and then I suppose. Um, work-wise, just the medals and things started coming. And so 2009, 2010, um, I was approached by Fran Bailey, who said, um, I'm leaving, I'm retiring at the end of this term. I want you to run the federal election for me. And I thought, oh. Don't know anything about it, but I have a crack. <laughs>
2: and you're still a policeman at this stage,
1: yeah? <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, I've got no idea. I said, I'll do it if um, Rick, which is a guy that, from the AFL who was um, come out to help the King Lake Football Club. Yeah, yeah. I said, I'll take him because he was into politics. So I've got no idea. And they've gone, yeah, no worries. So instead of having to go to meetings and be voted in as the next – um person to run, bang, It was done. Yeah, Signed, yeah. sealed, delivered. <laughs> um, and then I was given a book, This Is Our Policies. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, funny, and then the day that, what's her name, um, announced the election, I had to resign because I couldn't be um, do government jobs. Oh, yeah. So I had to resign and, yeah, ran for – the uh, Cedar McEwen. Um, I lost, but I did it scaringly that well though that the next day when uh, the Liberal Party rang me, they said, Do you want to run for the state election? I go, No, nah, no, nah, just I want to go back to police. God <laughs> So yeah, that and was um, 2000. why
2: you is that why you resigned? Like you yes. didn't resign because you'd had a gut full you resigned. No
1: no what happens is if you run for state You can go on holidays, but if you run for federal, you've got to resign.
3: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
1: And you can't be double dipping. Righto. So I had to resign. And then if you don't get in, it's automatic straight back in at the same rank. If you do get in and you're in for, say, six years, you can come back as that rank.
2: Okay. So I'm thinking if Fran hadn't asked you to take her place to join the party, would you have resigned from policing? No. Like it's almost a blessing in disguise.
1: I probably was. But, see, the reason why I did it is – (laughs) <laughs> the rebuilding stage, there was even a friend of mine that was building a house. He couldn't put windows in that in because they weren't invented yet. Like they had to be bushfire resilient and and then they brought in the bell rating and then all these promises that were made to people just were getting broken. People up here were just – nothing was happening. There was no jobs for locals. All the um cleanup was um, – Big companies downtown, and it was just wrong. Wrong. They couldn't build, so I thought, well, the best way to do this is go straight to the big wigs and say how wrong it is. So, and um, so my big thing was that, and uh, men's mental health.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I was actually going to get onto that in a sec. Yep. But I did want to go back to your role with the football netball club. Was it
1: football netball club? Yeah. Yep.
2: Because that place nearly died in the fires as well and probably would have without your passion and your commitment and getting the community together and basically wrapping your arms around each other. But you had that meeting. You wanted to gauge. I love this story. You wanted to gauge. You weren't sure whether you'd get the interest and whether people could be bothered yeah. Like they were just so traumatised. So you had a meeting. And, and how many people turned up to that meeting?
1: Oh, geez, oh, geez, oh roughly 200 people. <laughs> and Mel- and the Melbourne Footy Club. I'll tell you a funny story. You weren't allowed up to King Lake unless you had a red wristband on. Yep. So we're having this meeting. So I grabbed just somehow come across a cardboard box full of them at the police station. <laughs> Drove down to the, drove down to the Whittlesea pub. I just love it. Yeah. Put them in there, and I said, rang everyone who's come to the meeting. And say you've got to go into the pub, grab a red um, wristband first, and then you'll get up. So that's how we did get some up here.
2: <laughs> and did you get criticised or hauled over the coals as well for uh, uh, going through the roadblock?
1: No, no one knew about that one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, am I right in saying that not only did you have um, Peter Garrett and Kevin Rudd there, but yes. you also had Christine Nixon, Shane Warne, yes. uh, Jimmy Steins came up with the Melbourne Footy Club and also Jason McCartney. He, he played quite a big role in the mental health side of things. Uh, can you tell us about Jason McCartney and how he helped with the men's health up there?
1: What an amazing night. They ca- after the fires... There was all these things saying, Oh, you know, send all the women away and send the kids away, it's just great, you know, and they had all these camps for the locals and things, which was great. But there wasn't a lot of things for men. So sending all the women away was fantastic, don't get me wrong. But You can't then, so say I,
2: that <laughs> <laughs> But
1: then the husbands were left with the kids and then the kids would go with the mum. But all the husbands wanted to do was sit down around a fire and do nothing. Um but they couldn't. Yeah. And then with the footy club, they kept saying, I'll have a mental health night. We'll do this. I go, no. First of all, no one will come to training and no one will go. And then we cottoned on to Jason. We said, well, let's have a sportsman's night and say nothing of it and we'll just let him speak. So he came up and he started talking about his footy and things like that. And then he went on to the Bali bombing. You could hear a pin drop. Oh, yeah. And then after that night, I think it was two or three blokes ended up seeking um, their mental health assistance.
2: Fantastic.
1: Um, and everyone walked out and thought, wow. I, and everyone said they knew exactly what he was talking about and how he was feeling. And then the footy club just became a place where people could talk and not watch the footy. They wouldn't come up and watch the footy. They just come up and talk. Um, And then even a year or two later, you could see the difference between the people from the footy club that were talking and active and to the people who I suppose went the other way and become recluse and things like that. So the footy club was a massive, massive um, health benefit for the the whole community, I reckon.
2: And for those who don't know the Jason McCartney story, could you just give us a quick rundown because I know and a lot of us know it very well, but there will probably be others that don't. So can you just take us through that, Ken?
1: Yeah, it was the um, North Melbourne footballers over in Bali and they were in a night spot and the, there was a um, bomber that blew up the the disco there and Jason ended up with, um, yeah I think it was 70% burns to his body.
0: Oh, huge. huge. Um,
1: and yeah. to his credit, he, he fought all the way through it, End up playing footy again, and played a game, um, his last game under lights. And he's just uh, an amazing bloke. The, the stories that um, just of the pain and everything that he went through. But then there was a photo with Mick Martin um, standing beside his hospital bed. And I looked into Mick Martin's eyes and I thought, I know exactly how you're feeling. So I spoke to Jason about that and he said, you know, it's funny. He said, I was injured and everything. He said, Mick was flat out. He was just dragging people in, out, just dragging bodies out, dragging this out, drag, and just doing everything. And I thought, wow, yeah, I wasn't injured, but I've was doing the things, and I just, in the the look in Mick Martin's eyes, I thought, I just know exactly how you're feeling. That was an amazing photo.
2: And for those who don't know Mick Martin, he's a man mountain, isn't he?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes, a big North Melbourne fullback.
2: And the scariest looking bloke you've ever seen in your life, (laughs) (laughs) with all due respect (laughs) to Mick and his family. (laughs) But, yeah, I know the photo that you're talking about, because to see such a big man like an AFL footballer to be just so, uh, lo- like, distraught, mm. probably traumatised would be um, a better word, yeah. Yes.
1: Yep. It's, it's, it's like all the goodness has been sucked out.
2: Oh, yeah. I actually would have preferred if you hadn't brought that up, to be honest, about the last game that Jason McCartney played, as I remember it so well. Oh. Uh, I'm a tragic Richmond supporter.
1: Oh, God.
2: And that night, North Melbourne played Richmond, and they won. North won on the last kick of the game, and it was a fairy tale because <laughs> that right. last kick was from Jason McCartney, and I'll never forget it. I was with some next-door neighbours watching the match and we all cried. Yep. It was just one of the most beautiful, <laughs> beautiful losses that I've ever <laughs> experienced and,
1: uh, yeah.
2: and ever will, but we didn't mind losing. To see Jason yep. McCartney come back from what he'd come back from was incredibly moving. But also didn't he start these pie nights up at King Lake and that's where you all – like it was a good thing?
1: Yeah, that started. That was the first one. We we said, let's just have a pie night and um, we'll get some footballers up to talk. So, yeah, then we had a few more of those, but nothing as big as that. I think that just uh, – it was just an amazing night. As I said, it, you could hear a pin drop, but then everyone's attitude just changed. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, it was a game changer, wasn't it?
1: It was. Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
2: So, Cam – what do you say to the men out there who are listening and like so many, bottle up their emotions and really to the detriment of their own mental health and those around them? Unfortunately, I have to say like yourself, you know, the, the big tough policeman, you know, the I'm right, I'm right thanks. <laughs> what do you say to the men out there listening who are struggling with their own issues?
1: Don't be afraid to let go and just chat. It it might not even be to a doctor or a psych, but if someone says, hey, you're travelling and willing to sit down and think, just have a chat. And instead of not talking about it, talk about it. Um, I find it so therapeutic and um, every time you talk about it, there's another little piece of the jigsaw puzzle that gets slotted in and you just go, oh, there's closure on that little bit. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid to chat because even if you chat for an hour or half an hour, you'll walk away and go, oh, I feel a little bit lighter. Definitely, definitely. Because as I said, I, I wouldn't have gone and spoke to anyone about it with all mumbo jumbo, heebie-jeebie, you know, hippie stuff, dancing around campfires, yeah, oh, yeah, singing yeah, the flowers. Fluffy, and- <laughs> soft stuff, all sitting
2: around making daisy chains. Yeah, and right. And <laughs> having a few cones.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did
2: I but just honestly, say that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, yeah, and, and I can honest, uh, I can see why men don't want to. Um, but geez, even if it's sitting around a campfire and someone sparks something up in a conversation, don't hold back, just chat about it because you'll get up and you'll walk away and think, I needed that.
2: Yep, feel a bit lighter as you said. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Many who experience a traumatic incident like Black Saturday, for instance, they leave the area that occurred in because of the continual reminders um, of, what, of, of what occurred, yet you've stayed there. Can you tell us how you've managed to stay there, Cam?
1: Well, one reason is I brought Laura over from Scotland and I said, if we leave, and she said, you've brought me all the way from Scotland to King Lake, I'm not going any further. So there's one reason, because she wins that every time. <laughs> Go, Laura! <laughs> <laughs> but look, no, I, I, I drive around here and I reckon I've just been to every single second house from here to to Langy to Yay, and I've been to that many... Um, bodies and suicides and everything else. So everywhere I go in King Lake, there's a memory of something. Um, I just love it here. I love the people. But there's, as I said, uh, even the doctor said, we've thought about moving. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But um even when I was working, I'd drive around thinking, oh, I've been there, been there, been there. So I suppose after nearly 20 years, you just get used to it.
2: Hmm. Do you harbour any bitterness like, say, for instance, towards Ausnet or the arsonist whose actions were reported in the coroner's court as two of the main reasons that the fires were as catastrophic as they were?
1: Um, no, no. Look, the week leading up to it, Everyone up here was told, you know, go and they were, right? Saturday come along and it was probably, uh, I'm not going off the mountain again today, and did what we all would do, put the air conditioner on, shut the doors, put the blinds down and put the tally on, right? So there was no warnings because it comes so quick. I'm not bitter against AusNet. Uh, bolt fell out. So and it come down, start a fire. It just happened to be on that day. Um, and now you look at the lay of the land: Kilmore, across to King Lake and beyond, is all mountainous, and the fire's blowing it south. And usually, when the southerly kicks in, it's a wet, cold one. So as it's made its way on the base of the mountains across towards Strathewen, the southerly's kicked in and with no rain but a hot southerly, and now it's at the bottom of a mountain with a almost, you know, three, four-kilometre front that's now going to get pushed by wind up and over a hill. So it's just a per- Mother Nature, I reckon, worked out for 100 years what she was going to do on that day. It was Everything was just perfect. It had never been 46 degrees in King Lake before, Um And as far – and then people say, oh, ma'am, was at tea. What was she going to do?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I've got no bitterness – even with myself, I've often thought to myself, is there anything more I could have done? No. No human could do anything on that day.
2: Yeah.
1: So there's no bitterness on anyone. It's just a freak of nature and Mother Nature said, this needs to be cleaned up. It's going to happen today.
2: What about the arsonist?
1: Well, that's the Murundindi one. Did he or didn't he? That's still the question to be asked, I suppose.
2: Didn't he go inside for that or into a mental health institution or something?
1: Uh, the old bloke at Murundindi? no, I don't think so.
2: I'm thinking of Brendan, I think his name was so- Sokoloff or something like that.
1: Oh, was that down in Gippsland?
2: Oh, I could be thinking of the wrong one.
1: That might be down the 'cause because there was heaps of fires on the day. Okay. And there was a one down Gippsland and that. But the one at Murrandindi, they under um, Nard reckon it was the old fella burning off up there. But, but, uh, if, uh, oh, the arsonist? I don't know. Yeah, look, it'd be the same as thinking, I suppose, the rapists and everything else. It's just in there. I suppose after 20 years dealing with people like that, it's just in their genetics and you just think you're a dickhead.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you received a fair few awards for your heroic actions on that day. Can you tell us about them?
1: Oh, um, I got the <laughs> – I'm, I'm trying to remember actually because – Oh, can I tell well, you? Yeah, yeah, you can. Uh,
2: the Victoria Police Valour Award, the Order of Australia Medal and the Australian Humane Society Award in 2011. Strength to you, my friend.
1: Yes, and I got. Oh, I do apologise. I missed one, didn't I? No, no, I think there's a Commonwealth bravery award.
2: Oh, that's probably close to the most important one. One of the highest ones.
1: (laughs) So, (laughs) and look, it just went nuts. And so it should. You know, they 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 sit in my uh, box in my bedroom, and it's even the OAM. I don't go by Cameron Kane o am um, it's sort of locked away it's a it's weird I'm proud to have them um, and so you should be but it just brings back a an awful time I suppose um, there was one thing out of it though was that really funny story we're at the um, governor House in Melbourne and Prince William was there. And I took a jumper and Beck saw him in the morning in Whittlesey and said, you might run into a friend of mine at the house this afternoon. He's going. His name's Cameron. So (laughs) we go there and we're out in the garden and then we had to separate a line so Prince William could walk past and go down and plant a tree. Now, I'm in a police uniform and Laura's standing behind me. As he's walking to me, Laura's pushed me. (laughs) <laughs> right. good on you yeah, you've got a picture this it's a crowd he's walked in this six foot four policeman stumbles in front of him stands up and looking him eye to eye and i said g'day my name's cameron kane i'm the president of the king lake football club <laughs> he's looked at me he goes yes i was told i was going to run into you today oh really and- and I thought, wow, I said, look, I've got a footy jumper for you. He said, look, I've got to go plant a tree. We will catch up. I go, okay, yeah, no worries. And then there was this high judge behind. She was pissing herself laughing. And he said, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen, this copper pushed out in front of Prince William, and instead of saying, hi, I'm a policeman, blah, blah, I'm Cameron Kane, the <laughs> president of the King Lake Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> so then we ended up going down into the, towards the helicopter and we actually met Prince William and gave him a jumper and what a legend of a bloke. Really? Oh, mate, he would sit there at a fire and he'd take piss out of himself. Yep, just genuine, genuinely nice man. So there you go, and that was funny. And out of all those um, things that are going to get the medals and that, that was the funniest one because bloody Laura pushed me
2: out. I love it. Uh, Your wife and children have obviously been affected by that day as well. Yes. How are they doing these days?
1: Oh, look, unfortunately I think um, Angus, my oldest son, because Sean's oldest, then there's Angus and then we've got Harry um Angus was probably 7 8 I think um and young Harry was only 3 4 um they both got a bit of anger I suppose it's come from me um I, Angus then I know he was older than that cuz he started high school and um separation anxiety so I'd say out of all them, Angus is probably the hardest hit.
2: And when you say separation anxiety, anxiety, with the family or friends or?
1: Oh, family. Like then he started high school down at Diamond Creek and every day he'd ring up in tears. I want to come home. It's too far away. Um, yeah, so a long time with him. Um I'd say, Harry, they both got a bit of the anger from me, unfortunately, over the 10 years. Um, and look, a, a, and Laura, she was just the rock behind me the whole way. Like with the footy club, she was a treasure at the time. <laughs> and Yep. Um, everything, everything we did it was me and Laura, even the politician thing. Like Laura took time off and sat in the passenger seat and was – Doing the paperwork and that for me. So it was just the rock for me. She
2: needs an award as well.
1: Yes, definitely. And, I, and I've said, you know, with the OAM and everything, it, it, I wouldn't be here accepting this if it wasn't for Laura. So it's not just mine, it's Laura's. So, um, but yeah, it definitely needs to be recognised. But um,
2: And what about your daughter, Shan, uh, who was in the bath?
1: Yeah, we've never actually sat down and spoke about it, I suppose. Um, I know that Laura and her um, ran into each other the, the Sunday morning and embraced and everything else. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, my hero is Sean, because, look, at the age of six, I met them in Scotland and they moved over here, Laura and Sean. And Laura and Charm was six. Now, she's come to the other side of the world, no family other than her mum, a strange bloke called Cameron, another part of the world with an accent you could hardly understand. <laughs> Starting school and going through all the schools and everything and to where she is now, um, oh, I'm just so proud of her because um, as a six-year-old coming to a strange country and then to where she is now, is just absolutely amazing.
2: Uh, yeah, you're right, and for the listeners, I've spoken with Sean and I don't think you could find a prouder daughter. She's just, yeah, she really pressed me. You've got to speak to my dad. This is what he's done and he probably won't want to speak to you. Won't want to speak to me? My God, I can't shut him up.
1: <laughs> yeah, the waffler. <laughs>
2: Listen, Cameron, I just want to say thanks so much for sharing, for everything you did during Black Saturday, the people you saved, the people who you comforted and continue to do so, bringing so many lost souls together through the King Lake Football Netball Club, which provided really a a form of healing and hope uh, without thinking about your own mental health.
1: Oh, yeah. And look, to this day, that's still the biggest accomplishment, I think, that I'm proud of is what the footy club did for the community afterwards, yeah. Yeah,
2: but you – I accept what you're saying, but really it was the community you cared for first
0: Yes, more than yeah.
2: yourself and never, yeah. ever forgetting Laura. Number one for pushing you into, William, <laughs> but to thank Laura and your family for their support, their love and strength that they've given you in dealing with the mental anguish that you've dealt with and still do. Yes. But without them, yep. oh, I just thank you from everybody. Well, Cam, that's it. That's it. Thank <laughs> you so much. You take care.
1: No worries. And
2: go and give Dave a big pat. Yeah.
1: For all of us. Yeah. You better go to the tip and take all Sean's crap from her old house to the tip. <laughs>
2: <laughs> ah, the jobs of a father.
1: Ah, yes.
2: Anyway, thanks again, Cam.
1: No, thank you very much.
2: No worries. See you, Narelle. See ya. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Norel.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much.
0: Hold up, what was that?